A note to the listeners, episode 53 contains some mature language and themes. Word nerd. Wordsmith. Wordy. Wordless. Oxford Dictionary says a word is a single, distinct, meaningful element of speech or writing, used with others or sometimes alone. We say each one matters. No extra words is literature, minimalist style. And we're getting you right to the story. What's that? Nah, it's nothing. I got in a fight yesterday. He brushes his hand over his raw, bloodied, now dried and shrinking knuckles carelessly, and I can recognize his bravado. He shifts on his feet like he does, moves around a lot, never makes eye contact, but bounces his eyes from one target to the next. Maybe he will squint up at me for a moment, the black liner around his eyes crackling and flaking as he crinkles his skin, but then inevitably he will look away like he's trying to keep me from seeing in there. He says, I like a fight, but it takes like two days for the swelling to go down, pain in the ass. His knees are bloodied too, and he's wearing a short skirt, like he wants people to see it, like it's an accessory. The sun has got us trapped here, between this boiling pavement and this sticky back of a convenience store concrete wall. It's right above us. And the only shadows we have are the ones we can make with the bulk of our own bodies. He's cast into high relief by that merciless sun. Shiny, sweaty highlights collecting on the upturned planes of his face. Cool shadows collecting under the eaves of brow, nose, lip, jaw. His face is a mess. It's always a mess. Crusty makeup on his eyelids. Memories of old pimples written on his skin. Blonde hairs between his eyebrows and oily sheen over his nose. Some piercings that glint like metal in a junkyard. And now, the purple mark of a punch decorating his handsome jaw. He scratches a finger through the dark blonde bristles of his buzzed hair with the hand that holds the cigarette. He sees me looking and smiles, full lips splitting, a little where it's chapped. A tiny red bead of blood forming there. He smiles like he knows. He sees something and knows, and maybe that's why he's always looking away, because things spill out if you let them. He moves forward, leans up, and kisses me. He's shorter than me. I want to press him into the wall. I want to reach under his skirt and find out what he's got. Maybe it's the same as me or different. Or maybe even something I've never seen before. Something in between. I know that he makes the rules here. So I keep my hands where it's safe. Feeling the soft dampness of his skin through the t-shirt. Feeling the thick stiffness of his binder. He tastes of that cigarette he's still holding. And a little of blood. He smells warm scalpy and a bit sweaty and heavy like the summer day that's pressing down on us he's got jeans on today and a sweatshirt with the hood up over his head defying truculently the heat of the day that demands that he take off all of those heavy obliterating layers defying his discomfort the sweat which beads on his upper lip 
and forehead. The total absence of makeup changes his features merely by contrast, makes him seem pale and tired. Even his hunching posture he seems to wear. He is a solid wall of unhappiness. I feel annoyed, frustrated, kept at bay by his impenetrability. He hasn't talked to me in a week. I wonder if he would have ever, if I hadn't nervously, hesitantly, hopefully, called him up first. He moves across his object-crowded bed and straddles me, kisses me. I want to reach under his skin and find out what he's got. I want to reach up into his rib cage and grab his heart. He tastes lost. I am selfishly and shallowly in love with him. I want to be allowed to take off all that heavy, fragrant clothing and discover his sweat-damp body. I want to be the person he feels safe enough with to allow that intimacy, that unfolding and revealing to me of the parts of him that he hates, so that I can love them. I want to make him love them too, as if I could, simply by loving them hard enough myself, inundating him with love so it soaks into him all the way to his core. Am I allowed to undress him? What does he want? He brought me here, to his private chamber, pinned me to his bed with his soft weight. What is his intention? Maybe it's the question in me that he feels, though I'm not demanding an answer. He pulls away, looks away. I'm on my period right now, and it's, it's just making me feel really... He makes a face and a gesture to indicate the distastefulness of physical existence. Dysphoric. What do I say? Oh. Express sympathy. That sucks, man. Demonstrate understanding. Periods are the worst. Yeah. Do I try to express to him my own confusion and discomfort regarding my body? No, that would be making this about me. Do I ask him an insightful question to help him talk? Does he want to talk? Would he want to talk to me? In this moment, I know with a lurch that we are not friends, that we do not know each other. We kiss more. I feel large and heavy and clumsy. I blame my clothes. Why did I wear this skirt? I blame the cluttered state of this unfamiliar bed. I suck on his neck, hyper-aware of every sound that my mouth makes, and listen in bewilderment to him moaning. We kiss, tasting each other's tongues, these strange, wet muscles moving inside of orifices. We tangle our bodies, these mere platforms for sensually experiencing the world that we somehow managed to become so attached to, so embarrassed by. Hello there, welcome to No Extra Words, the Flash Fiction Podcast. My name is Chris Baker Dersh. I'm your producer and editor. One of the things I love about having an author read their own work 
is they get to have total control over the mood and feel of their story. Arden Red Sawyer is the author of the story you just heard, What Does Anyone Remember About High School Anyway? And when Arden sent that recording, even just looking at it on my screen and seeing the waveforms, I could see there were lots of pauses, lots of spaces. And I went to listen and I realized a lot of the story lives in those spaces. And it was such a different experience hearing it than reading it. And that's happened to me before when I know a story is coming, but then I get the audio recording of it. And that's really what I'm hoping to bring to you guys by doing this as an audio production. Because you can't cut those spaces. The story lives in those spaces, in those moments, in those hesitations. That story is such a story of pausing and hesitating and waiting and wondering. We're in high school today, and I think it's very easy to think of high school as a time of innocence, to think of high school as a time of maybe back when you didn't know yourself or didn't know the world, and I think we forget that that's not true for a lot of people. For a lot of people, high school is a time of this yearning, yearning for an adulthood you crave but aren't ready for, maybe an adulthood that gives you a freedom that you need to really be you. You're an adult. For all intents and purposes, in the physical, biological world, you're an adult. And you're an adult who's not ready for adulthood in this society, either because you don't have the maturity for it or because somebody has passed laws telling you you're not ready. And there's a real tension there between biological adult and a societal cultural adult. Some of us don't really hit society culture's definition of adulthood until our late 20s, 30s. (laughs) But when I call this episode so high school, it's not the high school you always see on TV and in the movies. One more thing I want to say about Arden's story before we move on is this has happened over and over and over again in the year plus now that we've been doing this show that a story is plucked from the slush pile months before it airs and ends up being the perfect story for a time and a place that we couldn't have imagined months and months ago we would be in. And I think Arden's story is a really good fit for the time and the place we are in now, and hopefully leads you to some questions we all need to be asking. I don't want to get any preacher than that. So I will bring you to Mike Chin's Last Night, which is coming up next, and I will see you next week here on No Extra Words, your flash fiction podcast. Last Night by Mike Chin Annabelle hears a siren. When Howard opens the bedroom door, her heart races. She had thought she was still alone in the house. Besides that, the few times Howard had been in her room, he entered through the window. He would tumble through with a clumsy roll that confirmed a man in his early forties had no business scaling drain pipes at night, and it was all she could do to keep from laughing out loud at him. He would start saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I had to have you, and she would cut off all those apologies by kissing his mouth and guiding his hands to her breasts and peeling back the corduroy blazer he wore in any and all weather. What are you doing here, she asks. I had to have you. The script proceeds, the lines the same, but the stage directions all wrong. Howard, Mr. Banks, 
taught honors English and advised the drama club at Westerton High. He always talked about honoring the playwright. Is Algernon yawning or are you yawning, Jeremy? I'm tired, Mr. B. But in this scene, Algernon is not. Howard kisses Annabelle wetly and presses her down on the bed, rather than waiting for her to pull him atop her. It takes her a minute to recognize the differences. There's no blazer to peel back. His lower lip is swollen. Are you okay? she asks. I love you. She hears the siren again, a few blocks away. His breath smells of whiskey. Every now and again, Annabelle's father told her he had seen Mr. Banks at the bar. He poked fun at the teacher for being too faggy to drink beer. Her father was trying to find fault, Annabelle knew. Wary of the teacher whose name Annabelle had drawn hearts around on the backs of notebooks all school year. She worried one night her father might confront him in a drunken stupor, might try to hurt him even. One by one, Annabelle tosses her stuffed animals, the bear, the bunny, the giraffe, from her bed as she and Howard threaten to roll over them. She pauses on the crocodile. Each time Howard had come to her room, the two of them made a game of talking to one another in silly voices through her old toys, just soft enough so her father wouldn't hear. She slid the crocodile between them. Mr. Banks, it's funny running into you here. He tears the crocodile from her hand, wings it past the foot of the bed, and kisses her harder. He rubs himself against her sweatpants, the ribs of his zipper just tactile through the fleece. He usually touches her long before he worries about himself, usually massages her triceps, usually kisses the circumference of her neck. He jerks tonight, convulsing for a few seconds, stopping altogether, then lurching into motion again. He grasps at her hip. She puts a hand over his, and it's warm and wet. He winces and stops again. What's going on? I must have you. She looked at the clock. One o three. My dad could be home any minute. No. The siren grows closer. He starts to wrest her shirt from her, all the finesse of the sixteen-year-old boy Annabelle dated before Howard, who still thought they were a couple long after she stopped answering his calls. The boy slid a love note through the slats in her locker. Annabelle and Howard took turns reading sentences from the note that night, just the way they would run lines from any play. They spoke the words breathily, and then in foreign accents. Annabelle giggled until she cried. Howard called the note impossibly melodramatic. She asked him what melodramatic meant. He crumpled the sheet of loose-leaf paper into a ball, threw it in the wastebasket, and kissed the baby fat between her t-shirt and the top of her jeans. Howard breathes like a boy tonight. He is sixteen. It's the first time he's kissing breasts. He shudders when she wraps her bare thighs around his waist. He gasps when he straightens his arm to take off his shirt. His elbow is moist, and in what little light seeps from the hallway and from the streetlight outside her window, she can see it's darker and that it stains her sheets. He doesn't give her time to analyze. His stubble scratches her cheek. He bullies his way inside and finishes quickly. Not minutes, but seconds. I'm sorry. She strokes his hair. It's more gray than brown by the light of day, but every color is the same in the dark. She shushes him when he starts to cry. He is a child. She is his caretaker. This is a new play. Every actress's nightmare, he had told her, takes place on an opening night when she's forgotten all her lines. Howard tends to doze off afterward. Most nights she sneaks from his sleeping arms and runs home to beat her father back from the bar. 
Each time they met in her room, she had to slap his cheek, pull his hair, bite his shoulder to rouse him and get him back out her window. He stares at her tonight, wide-eyed like he's never seen her before, and like he'll never see her again. The siren is loud enough that she can't hear their hearts beating or Howard's heavy breath. Blue and red lights color his face as the first car arrives. Thanks for listening to the No Extra Words podcast. For more information on today's stories and contributors, or to learn how to submit your own work, please visit us at noextrawords.wordpress.com. The best support you can give the show is to recommend us to your family and friends. See you next time.